0: So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 24, is where we're going to be, where we've been for quite a while. And this is why we're in Matthew 24. So this is Jesus' teaching and his exhortation, his response to the disciples' question of, You just told us that this temple, this building, which represents God in the midst of his people, dwelling in the midst of his people, that this structure is going to be destroyed. There's not going to be a single stone left upon another. Jesus, when are these things going to happen? And not only when is that going to happen, but when are you going to come and establish your kingdom? You know, the disciples, as they're asking this question about Jesus, they're not looking for his second coming. They're not looking for his arrival. He's already right there in front of them. But when, Jesus, are you going to establish your kingdom? And Jesus' response, as we've been sitting in for the last few weeks, he gives a variety of signs, wars, rumors, rumors of wars, disease, famine, earthquakes, persecution, and then he hits the direct sign of this abomination of desolation, which we covered in in detail, that it was going to make the holy place unholy. Well, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, so when you sit in the variety of interpretations of what Jesus says in Matthew 24, there's all different kinds of ideas. For me, as I understand his teaching— is that these general signs right now we have we have two hurricanes that are on schedule to hit new orleans over the next couple of days a lot of people would say that is a sign of jesus's soon return we sit in covid as we've been going on for the last six months of a disease of a pestilence some people would say that's a sign of jesus's soon return the united air air emirates Get out that quickly. They signed a, you know, there's a political channel that they're opening of peace with Israel. Many people say, here's a new covenant with the nation of Israel of peace. That's a sign of the end times. There's conflict with Hamas going on this week. Some would say that's another sign of the end times. So we sit in all of our daily information and we look at the signs that Jesus gave in a lot of vagueness, a lot of, there's lack of clarity there. There's not, it wasn't specific enough, we feel for us, that when we listen to others talk about the signs of the times, for the 20 years that I've been a Christian, I've been listening to one thing after another of people pointing out this and this and this and this and this, and this are signs of Jesus' soon return. Y2K. Jesus is coming back quickly. The 2008, so this is, a 2008 was, well, first, it was Israel became a nation in 1948. So you have this major revival of God pouring out his spirit and saving people in the 60s and the 70s. In the 70s, is re- really when this this awakening came in the sense of looking for all the signs of how the world was being orchestrated according to the prophecy of the of multiple prophecies of the Bible the world order and just all these things going on there's a major revival in the 70s Many in the church were looking for Jesus to return in 1988. And the reason was, is because Israel became a nation again in 1948. That's going to be relevant as we step into the text this morning. A generation being 40 years, Jesus is coming back in this generation. He's going to come back in 1988. There were many predictions of that. Did he come back in 1988? No. So, that caused people to... Well, they were anticipating the rapture to occur in 81. That didn't occur because you got to back it up seven years. There's all these different things that people point to signs. In 2008, it was, uh, um, that would have been sitting in 60 years. So in some place, 60 years is a generation. Looking at the recession, the great recession that happened in that year. And again, restructuring of world order and those kinds of people were pointing to that as signs. 2018 was the 70 years anniversary of israel becoming a nation this was the year where all the blood moons are going on everybody pointing to these are all the signs that jesus is coming back soon has jesus come back yet has the rapture happened yet no so in the signs in the the vagueness that jesus used it creates a lot of questions it creates a lot of opportunity to say this is that and this has been going on Since the beginning. I just read yesterday, I had no idea, Martin Luther said that Jesus was coming back in 1533. He named a date. I'll bring the quote next week to read the whole thing because I think it's fascinating because I believe those general signs that Jesus gave in the beginning were for all generations of believers. We believe in the imminent soon return of Jesus. He can come at any moment. But as we look at these general signs, we see these things happening with more and more rapidity, with greater and greater consequences that line up with other prophecies in the Bible in regards to world order and structure and economics and governments that lend us the greater weight and interpretation that we believe that Jesus is coming back in our generation. For sure. That specific sign of the abomination of desolation when you sit in the interpretations of this passage of what Jesus was describing, some will say this occurred before the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., you know, this all occurred in that generation. Others, and I sit in the, the idea that the temple is going to be rebuilt, and this is a description of the future Antichrist. We, sit in, we sat in Second Thessalonians already that talks about this man of sin who's going to reveal himself and declare himself to be God in the holy place. So there's an interpretation that we believe that the temple is going to be rebuilt. The issue with those, and again, I don't pick up, I used to, and I'm I've, I've stopped doing this, and I tried to stop doing this. There are many, even in this room, that would have different interpretations and understandings of Jesus' teaching. And we have room for that. I'm not going to pick up a stone and throw it at another brother and sister, and I have before. Those I have a futurist, for those of you who know the terminology, I have a futurist perspective when it comes to eschatology, the things of the end time. I used to pick up stones and question the salvation of anybody who took on the preterist view. That these things all happened in this generation that Jesus was speaking to. Um, and I don't do that anymore. So I'm saying all that to say that there are different ideas. There's brothers and sisters that sit in different interpretations of this, and I say that qualifying my understanding of this is even if you take a historical idea in regards to the abomination of desolation sign, it says very clearly that immediately after the tribulation of these days, Jesus is coming back. Jesus didn't come back in that generation. So this is why we believe my interpretation and many interpretation, the idea that Jesus is coming back later. Now, all that in background that we've covered the last few weeks, because it's a lot of information. We've sat in some, a lot of different Bible texts. Now we get into Jesus' application. Well, what does he want us to do with this information? And before we, get, before we read verse 32, I just want to grab in our hearts, does it, even in that last song that we sang, um, these words that we're studying these are the words of the being who created the heavens and the earth and he created us and he's responding to his disciples question when And we have to sit in that to understand it. Like as we study these words, this isn't, we're not sitting in my words. We're not sitting in a doctrinal perspective. We're not sitting in a religious teaching. We're sitting at the feet of our Savior in, in devotion and in adoration to hear what he says. So he just gave all this thick information that even for them, it would be thick. They'd be... They don't have clear understanding in regards to Jesus' words, even as he's speaking these things in a private context, right? This is dinner time. They're sitting around a campfire. They're having one-on-one dialogue. You can picture the disciples sitting down and taking notes. Now, verse 32, Jesus' application, what Jesus wants us to do with this information. He says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it or he is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass pass away. He's going to get into a variety of applications. We're only going to look at this this morning, but I tell this morning's sermon, learn, because this word learn is the imperative. When Jesus tells us the great commission at the end of Matthew 28, when he says, go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. The word disciples, this is this word for learn. A disciple is a learner. Jesus is the teacher, and we are his learners. We sit at his feet, and we learn. Again, this is, this is his imperative command. I want you to learn from this parable. But before we get into the parable, turn to um, Ephesians chapter 4. Because this brings out a full flavor of what it means to learn from Jesus as our teacher. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, and we're jumping right into the middle of this context, Paul's exhortation, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In other words, now that you have a relationship with Jesus, the behavior, our the manner of our life, it's not supposed to look like what the rest of the world looks like. And he gives this description. In the futility of their mind, that's, a, that's an empty mind. Not being a learner is what all of this ends up describing. Having their understanding darkened, literally their mind, their thoughts are in darkness, not in light. Being alienated, estranged from the life of God. And here's the exact antonym of what it means to be a learner. It says, because of the ignorance, being ignorant is the opposite of learning. Because of their lack of discernment that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling, literally that, having a callous, being calloused in their minds and their hearts, they've given themselves over to lewdness, which by definition is being abandoned to yourself to work all uncleanness, to work all impurity with greediness, with covetousness. I want you to listen to this again. I'm going to read it without any comment, but listen to the description of what it means to not learn from Jesus. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding Darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because the ignorance that is in them, because the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And here's the contrast but you, you have not so learned Christ. Listen Listen to this. All that we are to seek in learning, in our devotion to the Lord, in sitting at his feet, in adoration, as we do Bible study, as I communicate right now, as I worship, as we go about our lives following Jesus, we are learning not just the content about him, but we are learning him. You have not learned Christ in the description that was just described above. But if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. Now listen to this. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And we know the dominant majority, the vast majority, never heard Jesus physically and they were never taught by Jesus. We have learned Christ. We, even today, we have heard him through his word and through his spirit. And we have been taught by him. He is our teacher. As truth is in Jesus. And here's the exhortation. As learners, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And again, lust, this is, this is, um, these are just cravings, desires that we have that are outside of the will of God. Deceitful things that lead us astray. Verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We have this command, we have a responsibility to put off the old man and to put on the new, but we are looking to Jesus in faith to renew us in the spirit of our mind. That we put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So back to Matthew 24. This whole idea, we are learners, and we are not seeking to learn information in and of itself about Jesus. We are seeking to learn him personally. Everything that we have from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible, God has created you, not because we have something that we can give to him, not that we have something that we can add to him, not that... Not for any other reason as other than it's, it's a self-revelation of himself. He created us to bear his image and to bear his likeness. And everything that describes a relationship and intimacy with him. We see in the fall in the garden, there's, there was a broken relationship through disobedience. Disobedience being described as the sin of witchcraft, which we all push away from witchcraft, but all of us, we I mean, we freely disobey God because our wicked hearts justify it in whatever ways we choose and whatever the instance is because our heart wants to do what we want to do. And as we learn from Christ, as we devote ourselves to him, as we adore him, this is what keeps us in this position and allows him to change our minds and to change our hearts and to transform us into his image. This is what it means to be a learner. And again, we're spending a lot of time on this because this is, this, that describes our whole relationship as a disciple, as a learner, as a follower of none other than Jesus. Not a religion, not a church, not another man. We are learning from him. In this context, he wants us to learn this parable. A parable is something that's laid down alongside of another so that we can understand. And he talks about a fig tree. We live in a forest. What happens in fall? For most of us, most of these trees out here, all the leaves are going to fall off. And you have this dead-looking tree. But what happens in the spring? You watch these little buds start to shoot out. And that's this just this description of a tree you know you got the hard stiff branches that look like this plant is dead and then all of a sudden you start to see life being pressed out of it and it's the branches they're tender they're movable when we see that happening what is being communicated to us winter's over man here comes spring here comes summer here comes the warm weather so as the plants begin to push out their green leaves what do we know is going to happen next Flowers are going to come out. Out of those flowers, different fruit is going to be produced by these trees. So he says, when you see this tree, learn from this parable. When you look at the plants out there, when you see these things, these leaves begin to come out, you know for sure summer's coming and fruit's going to be produced. So, Jesus says, when you see all the things that I just told you above and the immediate prior content that he was just discussing. When you see all of these things, these are clear indicators that it, and this word in the Greek, it's he, she, it. And if it's it, it's referring to the kingdom of God. It, the information, when you are asking me, when am I coming? When is the kingdom of God going to be established? When you see all of these things. This, these things are a clear indicator. My kingdom is what? It's near. It's close. It's imminent. It's at the doors. And every time I hear at the doors, if you can flip there quickly, go to Revelation 3. I think Revelation 3, when, it's, uh, when Jesus is telling John to write this letter to the church of Laodicea, In many ways, I believe it reflects the current culture that we live in. This is Revelation 3.14. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen. Titles of who Jesus is, his person. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. That you were neither cold nor hot I wish that you were cold or hot so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot I will vomit you out of my mouth pretty vibrant description because you say I am rich and have become wealthy in need of nothing you do not know that you are wretched miserable poor blind and naked I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, Jesus loves you. I rebuke and chasten It's like bringing up a child. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And this is where Jesus being at the door, his kingdom being at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And ultimately, is everything that Jesus communicates as we engage with our Lord, as we engage with one another, as we engage with our culture, It's this constant reminder. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Any individual, man, woman, child, regardless of history, regardless of current context, anybody who hears the voice of Jesus, who is learning about Jesus, hearing his voice, being taught by him, anybody who hears his voice and opens the door, we have this confident, assured Promise From him, I will come into you, and I'll dine with you. And this is, this is Eastern imagery. As you dine with another, you are becoming one with them. He is, comes into us and becomes one with us, and we with him. And ultimately, he is the one who causes us to overcome this great promise. Do you know that you are going to sit on the throne of God? solely because he wants you to, because it's his will. He created to share himself and he invites all of us to come in. So when we see all of these things, it's not to get our end times in order. It's not to pick up the stones and throw them at the culture. It's to be aware. We need to be a learner. The whole point of this parable that he is saying that he is instructing, is I want you to discern the times that you live in. Learn. Pay attention to what's going on on the outside. Pay attention to what's going on in the culture. But what does he want us to do with that information? What is Jesus asking you to do today? And that I can't answer that for you. The Holy Spirit has to answer that for you. But you have to ask the question, and you have to be intentional to, one, know how to, how do you hear from him? When you ask God a question, how do you know yes, no, or wait? How do you know what his answer is? It's that song, Jesus, I love you. I come to you in humility at your feet, in adoration, in recognition of who you are as creator, as savior. And I'm asking you, do you want me to do this, yes or no? I'm asking you to give me wisdom for the things that I don't even know that I'm gonna to have to deal with today, tomorrow, and the next week. That when I'm standing in that moment, I know that you're there with me, to teach me, to change me, to direct me according to your will, to convict me when my heart is rising up and rebelling against you and I wanna do my own thing. I trust that you're gonna be there to keep me pointed at you, to be a, an intentional learner, continually looking, and again, I believe, I believe this for the disciples that were listening to him, and I believe this of disciples for the last 2,000 years. Every single believer has been looking that Jesus can return now, and it's, it's this imminent means it's impending, it's approaching, it's right there at the door. We can look at the signs of the times. How much longer can humanity possibly keep going on before Jesus comes back? How much longer before somebody hits a nuclear war button? How much longer before we mess around with the human genetic code before we really mess things up? How much longer before we mess up our food supply? How much longer is he going to let our current circumstances just keep going down the road that it's going My opinion is he is near, he is close. So what are we supposed to do? I know what what he's directing me to do. And even even right now and in current context, um, COVID's kind of adjusted life in a way for me that I'm busy, I'm full, I'm doing things. um, But it's also directed me away from really intimate, personal, close devotion with the Lord. I I have missed more mornings sitting at the feet of Jesus in adoration, in his word, in journaling, in prayer. I have missed more over the last six months than I probably have over the last six years. I don't don't know why that is, but I hear him speaking to me. need, I personally need to hit the reset button. And this isn't that I'm avoiding the Lord. This isn't I'm being distracted. This isn't I'm going in the way of the world. It's just for me personally in this season, like I just feel, I feel the discouragement. I feel the isolation. You know, I'm glued into a computer screen all day long. You know, I'm sick of Zoom meetings. I'm away from coworkers and all that. It's really weird. And in that weirdness, I'm still, I'm doing things and I've, I'm doing good things, but I'm missing this. Sit at my feet, like. Not to study for Sunday morning. Not to approach the Lord for anything other than Lord. I just, I really, this, this last song, I heard it uh, as they were rehearsing. Um, and again, as, as we worship God together, Jesus, I love you. I don't want anything more than to just be able to sit at your feet like Mary to cry if I need to cry, to ask you questions like the disciples are asking you questions. I want to be there in devotion, in love, and adoration. And Lord, please forgive me for avoiding you for no reason. Again, we all drift in different ways. We all get busy in different ways. But God, God is there in our lives. I love you. I miss you. Again, this is, this is just me and this season, and I, and I feel the lack of devotion in my, that lack of relationship. Why? Because I get, I get a little bit de- depressed, feeling alone, feeling discouraged. When I get that way, I get a little bit pessimistic. I get a little bit irritable. I get a little bit like, what's the point? I'm just going to do my—it's it's just a weird season right now. It's really hard to make plans for the future, But I feel the distance in my own relationship with the Lord. And if I'm sitting there and biting in my own juices, what's going to come out? The old man's going to come out. Not the new transformed man, not the transformed heart that he's placed in here, not the transformed mind, not the transformed words, not the transformed actions. I believe that you're at the doors, Jesus. So may my life reflect that belief. And here, this is, surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. This has been one of those, Jesus' statement there has provided uh, confusion. Not provided, but it creates confusion. Again, is, is what he communicated, did it already happen? The generation, this generation that he's speaking about, is that the generation of the disciples? Well, If it was the generation of the disciples, then we have to say Jesus is a false teacher and a false prophet because he didn't establish his kingdom. He didn't come back and rule and reign as the Messiah on this planet over the nations with a rod of iron, as all the prophecies tell us. That didn't occur when the temple was destroyed. The sun didn't fail to give its light. The moon didn't fail to give its light. The stars didn't fall from heaven. Lightning did not flash as from the east to the west. And Jesus revealed himself. That didn't happen. So therefore, the interpretation, the understanding, is that this generation that he is talking about is that it's this generation that sees the future abomination of desolation. We see this a lot of times in biblical prophecy, that when God says something, there is a near fulfillment of it in that culture and of that time, and then there's a far fulfillment of the exact same information later on, specifically as we talked about the abomination of de- desolation. Antiochus Epiphanes fulfilled that in 150 B.C., very Clearly. He slaughtered a pig. He set up an idol in the temple. The the feast of Hanukkah, is the rededication of the temple, it surrounds that event in history. Did this abomination of desolation happen again to this this temple before it was destroyed in 70 AD? Probably. Near fulfillment of Jesus' word. At the same time, that building, that structure is going to be rebuilt. It's never going to be occupied by the almighty God. His glory is not going to descend and dwell in that structure. But it's still going to be a structure that the Jews are using in regards to obedience in their worship, in regards to what Jesus' commands were of the Old Testament. It is going to be defiled. And when they see it, run. And then, you can count, Daniel tells us it's 1290 days and here comes Jesus. So... We believe that there's a future fulfillment of it, that this generation that he is speaking of there is the generation that sees this in the future. And this is one of these. Verse 35. This rings our bell. Heaven and earth will pass away. Listen to that. The heavens and the earth that God created, they will pass away. They will be undone. He says, but my words will by no means pass away. If Jesus is not God, he is a false teacher and he is a false prophet just by those words alone. Do you know of any prophet in the word of God that says, my words will last forever? The only time a prophet declares something with that kind of authority is, Thus saith Yahweh. His words, these are the things that will abide and remain for all eternity. Again, so sit in the immediate context. My Bible, all the words are in red to tell me that these are Jesus' words. My words. Everything that we've just read, they will remain forever. There's going to be a continual testimony of eternity in regards to his authoritative, powerful words that will remain even though all of his creation will be totally undone. His words are forever. He is forever. He doesn't say things by oops, he doesn't say things by plan B, he doesn't say things by mistake. They are always permanent. Final place where we're gonna end this morning, worship team, you can come on up. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're turning here because as Jesus is saying, when you see these things happening, know. Know for certainty that it's the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at the doors. Know that he Jesus himself is at the doors. So here in Hebrews 10, 25, it's it's talking about as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day of Jesus' return approaching? Yes or no? If you do, here's the exhortation out of God's word in regards to what we ought to be doing in the culture and the time that we find ourselves. Verse 19 of Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness... This is outspokenness, to enter the holiest. The holiest is the abode, the home of God. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated, that he set apart for us, through the veil that is his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, listen to this, and I need to hear this too. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having your hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Lots of imagery here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, without giving way. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another, brothers and sisters in the room, let us consider one another how and what way in order to stir up love and good works. This is what I was talking about earlier. There's so many times where, especially as a young believer, I've been puffed up in pride and arrogance and thinking that I know it all. And I mean, I, re- I can remember there was a point in my life that the whole Catholic Church is going to hell. There's not a single Catholic that's saved. I can remember like thinking that and believing that in arrogance. And how foul of a heart is that. Jesus tells me to consider. Every single person, regardless of their denomination, their backgrounds, their perspectives, anybody who bends the knee to Christ, my consideration of them is to stir up love in them, stir up good works in them. As we sit in COVID, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming, Maranatha. Jesus, we do, we bend our hearts to you. And I know the next song that's coming up, Lord, we are coming back to the heart of worship. I am personally, Jesus, confessing to you and confessing publicly. Coming back to the heart of worship it's all about you I'm so thankful for your words for your instruction for your teaching even when I sit in confusion and even when I sit in all the flavors of interpretation of what you said ultimately Lord I know that you've you've told me things beforehand So that i would not be deceived so that i would not be led astray so that i would i would be encouraged so that i would have the confidence in you to endure to trust in you regardless of what my circumstances look like lord i worship you i adore you i love you i open the doors of my mind and my heart Jesus, I ask you to come in in all of your glory and all of your power and all of your majesty with all of your words. Come in as my teacher. Come in as my friend. I wanna eat with you. I wanna fellowship with you. I wanna remember your body and your blood and your sacrifice. I wanna remember that you have returned to your father, that you are seated on the throne of God with your father right now. Remember, Lord, and I'm confident that you are coming and that you are coming soon. Free me from distractions. Free me from the thoughts of my flesh, Lord. All of my desires and cravings that I have, Lord, that are separate from you. Lord, help me to let go of those things. Point them out to me. Change me, transform me. In your time, in your way. Thank you for the men and the women kids that have all assembled together in your name we are here to stir up love we're here to stir up good works all these things they're only possible in you lord thank you for your grace thank you for your love we worship you and adore you it's in jesus name we pray amen